So, uh, said this when I called us to worship. This is our last Sunday in Granbury. Um, so, if you're new here, come back, but don't come back here because we won't be here. Uh, we'll be at Creep Hall Elementary. Um, we are taking just a week, a week's departure from this Be Curious series that we've been in because I want to spend some time uh, leading us in celebrating and closing this chapter here at Granbury as we move to this new home at Creep Hall Elementary. And um, one, of the, one of the practices in the Old Testament uh, was, was piling up stones, creating these, these things called Ebenezer's. Christopher and I installed all of this wood in, I think, 2014. Yeah, we spent like an entire week here this summer. So we're going to have hammers. We're going to all tear all of this wood off, and we're going to build like a giant wood Ebenezer. I'm kidding. Um, but it is. It's kind of hard to believe uh, that this is our final Sunday uh, here in this space because God has done some really amazing things uh, through this church community being in this place. Man, whoo. Yeah, and uh, this place has been the backdrop, or, or maybe you'd say the context, for much of that beautiful redemptive work. It's happened here, and so I've been I've been praying a lot about this transition. We've only had a few months to plan for it. Uh, if you don't know, uh, we're kind of being forcefully moved out because of a construction project that's happening here, uh, starting tomorrow, I think, or in a couple of days after school's out, uh, before next Sunday. Uh, but I've been praying a lot about this transition, uh, kind of this season of forced change. And the Lord took me to a psalm this week. It's Psalm 77, um, which I was kind of like, oh, really? It's, it's, it starts off, it's a very lamenty psalm. It's one of the psalms of lament. Um, but it ends in a place of hope and really um, practicing what we just did when we sang and what we're going to practice the rest of this morning in a place of really remembrance of God's faithfulness. Um, at the beginning of the psalm, Asaph, who's the writer of the psalm, is expressing with, with what David often did in his psalms, just this really emotionally honest realism about the difficulty of his current condition. He's in a very hard spot. I'll just read you a few things. He says, I cried out to God for help. I cried out for God to hear me when I was in distress. I sought the Lord at night. I stretched out with untiring hands. I would not be comforted. I remembered you, God. I groaned. I meditated. My spirit grew faint. I was too troubled to speak. In those first 10 verses, it's just I, 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 and hard, hard, hard is basically what Asaph's doing. But in the 10th verse, and I'm going to read that here in a second in the rest of the psalm, there's an important shift in the psalm. And it's a feature of many psalms, uh, which are pretty important not just as, as examples, but literally they teach us how to pray, how to handle our hearts in difficult situations or handle our hearts in change. So we can engage like Asaph does, engage the Lord honestly in the present. But then he does something is, is he lifts his eyes past what he's going through right in the moment. And one of two things usually happens in these Psalms. In this one, he looks back. He looks back at the past faithfulness of God or you can look forward to the future promises of God, but one of two things happens. You either look back at the past faithfulness of the Lord, or you look forward to his promises, and there's a shift, we'll see it here, in the heart, where he goes from having what I call a case of the eyes, I have a case of the eyes, he gets a case of the use, is what happens. He starts talking about who the Lord is, not just what's going on with him. So I'm going to read it for us. It says this, And then I thought, to this I will appeal. 
the years when the Most High stretched out his right hand. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your miracles of long ago. I will consider all of your works and meditate on all of your mighty deeds. Your ways, God, are holy. What God is as great as our God? You are the God who performs miracles. You display your power among the peoples. With your mighty arm, you redeem your people, the descendants of Jacob and Joseph. The waters saw you, God. The waters saw you and ride. The very depths were convulsed. The clouds poured down water, and the heavens resounded with thunder. Your arrows flashed back and forth. Your thunder was heard in the whirlwind, and your lightning lit up the world. The earth trembled and quaked. Your path led through the sea, your way through the mighty waters. Though your footprints were not seen, you led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and of Aaron. What's he doing? What he's doing is something that the Hebrews were well known for. Um, it, was a, it was a practice that they would often do, which is, is, I know the Lord is leading me somewhere, like he says at the end. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. But that path oftentimes wasn't around the sea. It was through the sea. It was through difficulty. It wasn't in spite of difficulty. So what I'm going to have to do in order to move forward into the future, what the Hebrews understood is, is we're going to back into the future looking at the past. If I just stare at the future, there's too much uncertainty up there. I don't, I don't see necessarily the way that this is going to play itself out. But I didn't see it in the past either. And I have to look back and say, look at how the Lord worked in the past. Now I'm going to back into the future having seen who he always is. All right? So you've heard this phrase. We've probably all heard this phrase, if these walls could speak. Right? What stories could they tell? If these walls could speak, right? Because we're talking about looking back into the past and the faithfulness of God. What stories would they tell? I found a picture. Is the, do we have the picture? There it is. Yeah. So this is from 2013. That is my son, Ford. He's not even one at this point. Um, that's me about to baptize him. Um, if you can tell, obviously, Christopher and I had not done our barnwood renovation at this point. Um, even that whole section from that wall didn't exist yet. You see the back wall where it says what, want, whatever. There was all this crazy stuff written over there. Uh, a lot of things uh, have changed since this picture. Hal and I don't wear shorts anymore, I guess, when, when I preach. Uh, <laughs> maybe I need to bring that back. You know, it's summertime. I'm like, wow, I guess I did that. Um, there are some familiar faces, uh, people who have been here from the very beginning in that picture. Uh, there are some who are not, uh, no longer here who are in that picture. Um, the place, the physical space has changed a bunch, but I would argue it's still very similar in many ways. But places, I just want you to think about this for a second, places are important because places, they hold special meaning for us because they are the canvas or they are the context for many of our relationships, for many of our stories, for the, they're the place where we experience the Lord working. I love what Janie said. This was a place where God romanced her back to himself. That happened somewhere and it was here. 
Places are important like that. Nashville is struggling with this right now. I saw the, the sign that said the Mercy Lounge has finally closed, right? There's actually a t-shirt I've seen recently. It was, um, it was basically celebrating like you knew you, you've lived in Nashville for more than five years if you can remember these restaurants and these places because Nashville is getting rid of all of its sacred places, right? Places where so many important things, concerts and anniversaries and things have taken place. Places matter. My childhood home, Emily teases me about this all the time. I've only, my parents have lived in the same house since I was, uh, I was basically born. Uh, they've lived there for 42 years. And nothing has really changed uh, in those 40 years in my parents' house. My folks are very frugal people. Uh, you really got to wear something out before you're going to let it go, okay? But every time I go home, one of the things Emily always teases me about is she'll find me in some random part of the house, like rifling through an old drawer and pulling out my uh, letter jacket from high school or things. Like, so much has been collected in this place and I will go through those things almost every single time that I'm home. And oftentimes I'll find myself laughing uh, at myself and some of the things uh, that I did in those stages of life. Sometimes I find things that remind me that there was great heartache and loss in this place. Uh, sometimes I find things that remind me, man, there's been profound growth and change in this place. My childhood home is a special place because that place is where so much of my life has happened where memories are made, where growth is, and transformation has occurred, and that's true about this place. Granberry has been that place for us. Uh, but these walls, they can't speak, right? Uh, and scripturally, uh, what scripture says about us is that we are spiritual stones being built into a spiritual house. These walls can't speak, so we have to be the voices that actually tell the stories that these walls can't tell. 1 Peter 2 says this, you are like living stones being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. You're a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. Why? So that you might declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. The walls can't speak because they're not supposed to speak. We are the walls. We are the ones who have been set apart, who have been chosen, who have been matured in this physical place so that we can be the ones who declare the praises of him who has called us out of darkness into his wonderful light. We're the wall that speaks. So yes, Granbury, this actual physical place, has been a special place for our church. Over the past, we've been here for almost nine years. Now we've had three departures in those nine years. Some of you have been there. We had to go up off Ellington Parkway for a while at a random church when they had another construction project in the summer. Obviously, COVID displaced us for almost 16 months, I think it was. But this physical place that has been the home of our gathering for Midtown Creep Hall has been a place where we have been spiritually built and grown, right? We're we, as the stones that are being built into something, have been shaped in this place. Literally, like the stone hewers in the temple would hew those stones. This is the place where the Lord has taken the hammer and the chisel, and he's shaped us spiritually. But the shaping is not over. We are not done here. We're not closing up shop. The shaping isn't over, and God does something oftentimes with his people. He sees fit to say this, it's time to go. 
And oftentimes he says it at the most bizarre and times that you don't expect it. Hey, it's time to go. It's time to start walking. You literally think back all the way to Abraham, one of the original covenants in the Old Testament. He basically tells him, this is what I'm going to do for you, but I'm not going to explain how it's going to happen. Start walking. It's time to go. And for us, it's time to go to another elementary school, right? Okay. I guess that's what we're doing. We're walking to another elementary school. There'll be some familiarity in that. But I want you to know that that isn't just random. It wasn't just like, oh, hey, we tried everywhere, and this is just, you know, where we, where we landed. I mean, there is some truth to that, but we don't believe that, right? We believe that this is purposeful. God is taking us to Creve Hall Elementary because this is the next physical place that he is going to use in our lives to shape us more into his likeness, and it's positioning us to actually be more effective as the body of Christ in this community. That's what we believe about this move. Because what? Because we are, and this is what Scripture says is true about us, whether we have a physical building that is our own home someday or not, Christians are pilgrim people. That's our identity. It's not just churches who don't have a permanent space who are pilgrim people. Every church, whether you have a physical space or not, is called a pilgrim people in Scripture. That's why in Hebrews 11, with the hall of faith, where Abraham and Moses and David and all these people who were celebrated that they lived by faith, what does it say about them? They were still living by faith as foreigners and strangers on this earth, waiting for the promises of God. They were a pilgrim people. We are a pilgrim people. That is our identity. If you look at the church of Scripture, the church of Scripture not since the ending of Scripture, but the church and Scripture spent far more time in temporary spaces than they did permanent ones. Would we dare to believe that that's God's will because he's saying, hey, I mean, man, I could preach a whole sermon on the, on the fact that when Israel settled down and got comfortable, they forgot the Lord. That's what Scripture says. Every time you got too comfortable, you forgot me. And he's saying, okay, Midtown Creve Hall, it's been a great run at Granbury Elementary. It's time to go. And it's not time to go just because they have a construction project going on. It's time to go because it's our time to go to that school, to that community in a way that we don't even fully understand. But God's saying, this is that time for you. Because he's writing a story within our church. And he's saying, this is the next leg of that journey. And I want you to walk with excitement and anticipation, even if it may be difficult. How do you do that? Well, you do that like Asaph is teaching us to do in this song. You do it by remembering. And Asaph, even in the psalm, I don't know if you picked up on it. He's meditating on you know, God's mighty deeds and considering all of his works. And then he goes straight to Exodus. And he goes to the crossing of the Red Sea. Asaph wasn't around at the crossing of the Red Sea. Sometimes you got to go back beyond your own story, <laughs> even your own experience. I can go back within my story. Sometimes i got to go back into the fact that my story is a story that only finds its meaning within the context of the story. If you don't know the story, no wonder your story doesn't make sense. If you don't know the fact that you're a part of a grander narrative than just the narrative of your own life, then life is too hard. Life doesn't make sense. It's just pain and suffering, and why is this happening to me? 
But if you know that my story is found and understood within the context of a larger story, then I don't just have to look back at my own story. I look back at the story of the people of God because that's what I'm a part of. That's my identity. I'm a stone in that spiritual house. That's what Asaph does. He says, we are a part of his story of redemption and deliverance that he has been writing since the beginning of time. Those people who came out of Egypt and Exodus, I wasn't there, but that's my story. You see it? It's his story of redemption. And so I'm confident of this, that the stories that these walls could tell if they could speak, God is taking us to Creep Hall Elementary because they're going to be new stories that come out of that place, out of those relationships in our lives and in the lives of people who aren't even there yet, but they will find their way to that place because it's not this place, it's that place. So we get to hear a story this morning. I want, is it both of you and Jen or just you? This is Casey uh, and Jennifer Chilson. Yeah. Their little boy, Scott. I've asked them to share a bit of their story this morning. It's a story that happened within the walls of this place, of this community. It's a story that some of you know about, but many of you don't. It's a story that, that mirrors this psalm uh, in many ways. That in the midst of difficulty, that beauty came after a season of, of a lot of distress and hardship. So uh, I won't say any more. I'm going to turn it over to them, and then we're going to get the joy of baptizing our little boy, uh, and then I'll close this, all right? All right. Can you hear me okay? Uh, this, uh, these words are very much from both of us, uh, but I talk faster. And I'm going to do my very best to get it in the budget of time for those working kid town. So our story... Uh, at this building uh, started around seven years ago, 2015, right when we moved to Nashville. It's the first time we visited, fairly newlyweds, not super serious about having kids yet, and there were kids everywhere. And we were like, not for us. Uh, it was also around the first time we tried to get pregnant, and I was like, ah, oh, it didn't work. I thought it'd work. Uh, and so for a year, we bounced around, tried all the different cool churches, and uh, it was really a year of stagnant faith for us. So we weren't a part of anything. Um, we were attending. So we, uh, about the time, said we need to dive in somewhere. We came back, and Hal Garrett met us at the door. And he remembered our names. Dave preached the gospel, and we said we're in. And we're going to do whatever that means. Um, we're going to be a part of the church and uh, early on, just a couple memories we have. One of the very first memories uh, we have here, Lindsay Tillman uh, baptized Lila and Kate, and she just had this beautiful story of fighting for them uh, after, they were, after they were born. And I, I remember being struck by it and feeling like, wow, that was such a powerful story. Uh, here we are. Uh, we joined the Jacobson Hasseld uh, small group, small group at the time, I think. And uh, soon after that, Hal visited, and Jennifer kind of made a, made a vague st statement about a hard season, and he just probed one more question. And, uh, and Jen opened up for the first time that we were struggling. Um, and it was the first time we let the church be a part of um, what we were going through, and that 
that started what was an immensely difficult and totally beautiful season of our lives. I started talking to doctors, you know. What, what could be wrong? And uh, came up uh, for uh, the other sacrament. What is that one? Communion. <laughs> and I remember Jen just looking up. Uh, Renee Pancake was serving and said, we need prayer. And she just wrapped us up and prayed for us. I remember that being so powerful. Um, then uh, that's the, a few years had gone by. Spring 2018, we were moving into the discipleship group set up, and we attended leader training. And at the leader training, we did exactly what uh, discipleship group is. Read the story, had hard hands the whole bit, and I was storying, so I read the prodigal son several times, kind of getting ready to tell the story, uh, wealthy dad that extravagantly loved his kids, one of them sticks around, and as a model son, the other takes off, basically says, you're dead to me, he goes and has fun, loses everything, comes back, dad throws a party for him, and uh, older brother storms off, um, and for whatever reason, it took somebody else sitting in that room reading the scripture and when she got to the end the Lord said it to me just like that father said it to the older son as I realized I was being the older son and he said you are always with me and everything that is mine is yours and I realized we've won the lottery it doesn't matter if everything else falls apart we lose all our money and we never have this kid we've won and around that same time, I got to start coaching the dirt bags with Hal. Um, because discipleship is as you are going. When it says go, it's as you're going. You're just doing life. And I had someone pouring into me. And so I told him that story, and he had me read the prodigal God, uh, where it talks about how extravagantly God loves us. And like, that's the real, like, I think that should be the name of it, not the prodigal son. Thanks to that book. And I realized I'm not entitled uh, to have this child, and God's still good if it doesn't happen. Uh, and around the same time, Johnny Nash stands up here, the Lord's calling him into the Napier neighborhood, and they're going to go live there, and it's a tough place to live. And he said, I'm not entitled to my own safety or the safety of my family. And how powerful is that, that he just moves there and says that. Um, and also in that season, we watched many, many baptisms. Uh, and while I was definitely open, we were open uh, to the possibility that we would never have a kid. That is the, like the best way that I can define joy. I watched that and like with great sorrow, but also excitement for this family, I had the greatest hope. And I could nearly see Dave baptizing our kid. I could nearly see it, despite being very, very open to the fact that it might never happen. Um, and the opposite of joy is not sadness, it's hopelessness. And we were filled with great hope. Um, so 2019 rolls around. Doctors told us it's time to try IVF, which is essentially the world's uh, most expensive turkey baster. Um, but... There's a lot more to it. It's really complex uh, and uh, mysterious to me because I am not uh, minded in that way, and we just sat on it for a long time. Uh, and as we figured out, do we do this? 
how far do we go? What's okay? What does the Lord think about this? Um, we were just supported from, from pastor to director to elders to friends that led us in small group to friends that we led in small group. The most and the Tillmans had great advice for us. Um, Hal and Tiffany were always there. Uh, Cassie and T. Hassel, the way that they chose when they got pregnant, the grace that they showed us, they sent us an email just so we wouldn't have to react a certain way. And Sarah Michael Strickland showed so much compassion for us when they, when they got pregnant because they knew what we'd be overjoyed for them. It was just really, really hard uh, to watch kids start going to kindergarten. That, that was when we started trying. Um, February 2020 rolls around. We've, uh, we've, we're, we're diving into IVF. I'm going to go quick through this, and I'd, I'd love to talk more if this is ever something you um, need to be a part of. But uh, choosing you, every doctor in that process that uh, is a professional and um, is good at their job and knows you're spending a lot of time uh, making this happen will tell you to fertilize every egg that you can. We're going to try and make as many eggs as possible, and you're going to you know, fertilize them. There's going to be some attrition, but that's your best bet. And, and, and honestly, we really don't know what's right or wrong, but we just knew that we didn't know. And so typically, like the very average goes 14. You start with 14, you end up with 3. 14, 12, 6, 3. And we just felt like the Lord didn't want us to fertilize any more than four eggs, which is so, uh, through their eyes, dumb. It's not logical or rational or statistically reasonable. And uh, we just thought that's what we were supposed to do, and we struggle with it because it's like, gosh, but it could be okay. We don't know. We think it probably is. Uh, and talk to friends who have been through it, and um, we thought we were going to have seven to nine eggs based on everything they said. I know I'm diving in the weeds, but it's just a really cool part of our story. Um, and they said, okay, there's going to be nine, and I'm sitting in the waiting room going, gosh, why don't we just do all of them? I, and then they come in, and they said, we got really bad news. You only had four eggs. And so the Lord, like, had us wrestle and wrestle with that decision, and they took the burden of feeling like I was doing something unreasonable away. And then four-step process, it went four, 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 and then we ended up with two embryos. Uh, implanted the first one in September. It didn't work. The better one, the good one, the one they told us was the better chance of making it. And then uh, we had one left uh, in December. And when we went to, that's Jennifer's favorite part. You want to tell about it? So there's an embryologist. I don't even know if I'm saying that right. But she comes in, she takes care of the embryo, puts it in the incubator, like watches it, thaws it that morning. And she came in, and we were already just, like, kind of sad and nervous thinking about, like, God wants to tell the story. Um, um, like, this one's really small, and it was a grade one out of five, which just means it was really small. Um, but she walked in, and she was like, this embryo is amazing. I've watched it thaw this morning, and I feel like this is one that we would use in school. Like, it would freeze and thaw, freeze and thaw. I just, it is a perfect embryo. It doesn't matter how small it is. Like, this is a perfect embryo, which to someone who's with their last embryo, obviously that was just really encouraging. Not that that means it's going to work, but just that. 
God is bigger than a number or like even like the grading scale of what they say should go first or next. So, so there we were, our last chance hymn. Uh, that soul was in a petri dish growing. Um, I was guiding a duck hunt several weeks later. You're supposed to call and listen to a voicemail, and they tell that voicemail tells you whether or not you get pregnant. And we had already gotten a really, well, a poor person records a voicemail, sorry. And so, uh, guiding us duck hunt, dying to go home, pit in my stomach, not feeling uh, any confidence. Come home, uh, say, are you ready to listen to it? She said, I already know, I'm pregnant. And it was just, it was the most amazing hour of my life. Just sitting at the end of, at that point, five and a half, almost six years. Um, and uh, someone, I heard someone say once, every time you open the word of God, he's just beckoning you towards joy. And I would argue that had we just attended this church uh, and not been a part of it, we would have missed out greatly. Um, I've boiled it down, but there are so many stories of so many friends loving us in the Lord while we were fighting for our son, he was fighting to strengthen our hearts so that we know what this is. He is a precious gift from God, and he's allowing us to steward his soul um, for a season of time. And he's the point. I'm not the point. My family's not the point. From him and to him, through him are all things. Our story is a part of his story. And uh, when we told friends and family, many that are sitting here, uh, that we were pregnant over and over again. It was praise God, praise God, praise God. What an answer prayer. And if ha we had been telling that news five years prior, we'd have just been thrilled. And that's great. That's a, that's a great story too. Um, but he made his name great, and he strengthened us greatly. Uh, and this church was just such an incredible, great part of it. Um, so here we go. not sure I need to say a whole lot about baptism uh, after that, uh, other than this, that um, what Casey just said uh, about their story uh, is, is, it's not just true about their story, it's true about um, anyone, anyone's story who's in Christ, and baptism is a, is a it is a sacrament, but it's a, it's a window into, and it says something about um, what the Lord has done on our behalf, which is that um, baptism is not saying, uh, I choose you, Jesus, <laughs> no matter when you get baptized, either as an infant or as an adult. Baptism is, is about Jesus saying, uh, I chose you. Not you chose me, I chose you. Um, and so, you know, as Casey and Jennifer, who both uh, say that about themselves, right? They say that they have faith in Jesus, in Christ alone for their salvation, that faith is a gift of God. It is not something that they did, that, that just like this little boy uh, was, was a miracle. Our salvation is a miracle. That's what they're saying when they say, I'm in Christ. And as a result, they live in this covenant of grace now. 
They live in this covenant of grace with Jesus. And the covenants in the Old Testament, they don't just extend to you. They extend to your entire family. And so we have a lot of confidence um, that God's covenant love is already pursuing this little guy simply because he's in this family and he's in this family, right? God is already um, after Scott. Scott's a marked man. Uh, is, a, is another way of saying it, because God is already pursuing and extending grace and love and care to Scott because he's put him in this home and he's put him in this home. So what we're doing when we baptize Scott and, and they put this sign and seal on him, they're not saying this is the moment that Scott is coming to faith, um, but they are saying that all of their hope is entirely in Jesus for Scott coming to faith just like all of their hope is entirely in Jesus for their own salvation. They're going to take a vow here in a second that says that. So hopefully there's going to be a picture. We've got a video going right now. There's going to be a picture someday where he'll look back, and maybe someday he'll stand in front of a group of people and do what his daddy and his mom just did. And he'll tell the story of uh, when I um, couldn't make a choice. Uh, like Psalm 139 says that he, he was knit together in his mother's womb and he is fearfully and wonderfully made. He'll look back on a picture and say, what a crazy idea that I would ever think I chose Jesus. He has always been choosing me before I ever responded to him. It's his work, his will. And so he'll look back one day, hopefully with his own mouth. We, we believe in that. And say, look at what the Lord has been doing for me. I'm simply responding with my own mouth about what he's been doing since long ago. And for us, this is a real gift because we do communion you know, once a month, but you only get baptized one time. For us, we can miss it. You, you look at this little guy, and this is what scripture says about you too. That he came after you before this, before the foundation of the world, and he set his affection on you. So as we baptize him, would you allow this to really stir in your own heart? Man, when I was helpless... As a babe, when I was an embryo, before that, Jesus was coming after me, and he set his affection on me, all right? So now here we go. I have a few uh, questions for Casey and for Jennifer. Do you acknowledge your child's need of the cleansing blood of Jesus Christ and the renewing grace of the Holy Spirit? Do you claim, Scott, you don't have to answer for yourself. I like the amen. Well, we'll pretend those are amens. Do you claim God's covenant promises on his behalf, and do you look in faith to the Lord Jesus Christ for his salvation as you do your own? And do you now unreservedly dedicate your child to God and prom promise in humble reliance upon divine grace that you will endeavor to set before him a godly example, that you will pray with and for him, and that you will teach him the doctrines of our holy religion, and that you will strive by all the means of God's appointment to bring him up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. All right. So this is where we get to participate. We often say this, that baptism, it's a very personal thing, and it's a very beautiful thing, but it's not a private thing. He is being baptized into a body of believers. So we take a vow, too, as a community. Do we, as a congregation, undertake the responsibility of assisting the parents in the Christian nurture of this child? If so, say we will. All right, I say this almost every time, and it's not a joke. One of the ways that we honor that vow and that we get a chance to honor it, specifically in this congregation, as 
Casey said, lots of babies were born in that season uh, and are continuing to be born uh, in this community. One of the ways that we do that is by serving in Kidtown. Kidtown is not just taking care of our kids so that we can all be in here and do church. It is discipleship of our children. Literally, y'all believe this, statistically, the best thing that you can do uh, for your kids growing up in the faith is, is getting them involved in something early on in life that is actually stewarding the gospel into their hearts. So if, if you're serious about that vow and, and you want to put teeth to it, once a month we ask everybody in our congregation, hey, will you serve back there in Kidtown? And if you see some of the stories coming out of Kidtown, they're stories like this. God is working in the hearts and lives of our kids in some pretty amazing ways. And if you're not back there, you miss out on that. So I'd encourage you, sign up, all right? That's it. All right, is he going to let me hold him? Come here, big boy. Good gravy, you're so cute. All babies are cute, but he might be cuter than most babies. <laughs> oh, my goodness. All right. You ready for this? Scott Walter Chilson. Child of the covenant. I baptize you in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. All right, bud. I pray for you. Lord Jesus, I just thank you for this little boy. Um, Thank you for his story. Uh, it's a story, uh, clearly, of you working in miraculous ways. Um, I pray that it'll be a story that as he grows uh, older and knows you, um, that he will be one uh, who says, my life is all about you because I, d I wouldn't have life without you. And it would be so clear to him, uh, Lord, that you were working uh, in and for him long before uh, he could ever say yes to you. So I pray that there would never be a day uh, where he does not know your love, where he does not have your name in his lips. Pray for Casey and for Jennifer, Lord, um, as they parent this little boy in his story and in their story, Lord, uh, that you would supply them with everything that they need. Uh, you promise that. You give us everything we need for life and godliness. Give them everything they need uh, to raise this little guy as a man uh, who knows you. And give us the same thing as a community, Lord. We have so many uh, little people uh, who uh, we are the chief instruments that you want to use to reveal uh, to them your nature, your character, and who you are. Uh, so strengthen us as a body uh, to raise our kids in a way uh, that points them to you and not to ourselves. So we love you. Uh, we celebrate the gift, the uh, absolute clarion, clear gift of this little boy. Uh, and we, we worship and praise you and thank you for him in your name. Amen. All right, everybody, welcome Scott to the family. Yeah. Woo. Oh. You just want to stay up here while I finish the sermon? <laughs> oh, my goodness. Thank you. All right, worship folks, come on back up. I'm going to button this up quick. Not a whole lot more to say. Um, other than to say this, uh, God has been and will be and is writing these kind of stories uh, in our church. And their story is not, this is a very unique story, but it's not unique to them. The story of this place is the story of how the Lord has come alongside his people through his people. For comfort, for encouragement, for growth, 
love what Casey said there. God was using that season of real difficulty to grow them in profound ways, and how people came alongside them in that was a part of God's redemptive work. So um, these stories are going to be written in this next season, too. Uh, and I'm excited to see what the Lord's going to do, primarily because I'm deeply encouraged about what he's already done. So w- would you do that? Would you embrace this sense of we are on adventure here, right? God is faithful. He has been faithful. We just heard a story of his faithfulness. So we can look back at that, and then we can look forward and say, all right, Lord, we're ready for the next season of stories. What are you doing? Uh, we're, we're here, and we're excited to see what that's going to look like. So let me pray for us, and then we'll worship our way out of here, okay? Lord, uh, thank you for this morning. Thank you for this uh, beautiful time of worship, of sacrament, of remembrance. Um, we do, we consider, we meditate, we join Asaph in saying you're holy and you're great and you're miracle working and you're powerful and you have a mighty arm. You are the one who redeems. Even when your path leads through the sea and the mighty waters and even when we can't see your footprints in real time, you lead your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. Lead us, take us by the hand. We're your sheep. Uh, We're excited to see where you're taking us in your name. Amen.